Welcome to another edition of Nostra News. We're live, baby. We're live. back. Back doing it. Yeah. And um, it. we were trying to piece through what happened this summer. I feel like we've kind of, you know, with my travel schedule, your travel schedule, we've had a tough time convening. So it's fun to fun to see you back in the studio. Likewise, man. I was saying it's it's been way too long. And yeah, but maybe let's start there. Like, what have you been up to this summer? I mean, I know we'll talk a lot about Noster, but yeah, yeah, how have you been? I'm good. I'm good. We've been, you know, we, we uh, spend a lot of the summers in Mammoth Lakes in the mountains. And so we were up there and, um, you know, we were doing a lot of kind of just online connected stuff there. Uh, but not, you know, not, you know, not being able to hang out in real life. So it's fun to, fun to be able to do this. Oh, and we, I think we talked about the India trip, right? Right when we got back yep, from yeah. India in June, we did one in person here. So we, we were, you know, we were traveling a lot and we just came back like last week, late mm-hmm. last week. So it's kind of like all the Bay area energy feels fresh and new. And I know we're going to go hang out, uh, later on at DZ's office. Uh, yeah. so it's nice to DZ kinda, HQ, baby, let's go. It's nice to be back. Cause I think that kind of stuff, you know, the mountains, we don't have, we don't have that type of kind of tech builder energy out there. So, and you picked a great time to come back. This is like one of the most beautiful days in SF. Oh, I, time, so. I always say September, October, are the best months in the Bay area. Without a doubt. This is, this is it. This is, it feels kind of Southern California weather. I'll take uh, it, man. I'll yeah. take it. T-shirt. I like it. <laughs> Mr. Hey, I should have worn Nostrasia because that's coming up. But. Yeah. Do you have a, <laughs> a Nostrasia shirt already? I do. Yeah. The, the yellow ones are very cool. I wore oh, it. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Some of my friends yeah. are, you know, I guess more into Japan. They saw the Japanese flag in there. Very well done by Sam Lightning mm-hmm. Store. So. And do you have some like Onitsuka Tigers that you can like retrofit I with? The... I don't even know what an Onitsuka Tiger is. What is oh, that? those are those like uh, classic Japanese sport shoe. Oh, the one man. that did you ever read the Nike, the shoe dog thing? Yeah, yeah. I ate like a long time. Th- ago, there was man. like the shoe brand that mm-hmm. he resold to make Nike what it what it is. Oh, nice. So right, like you start out a company, a shoe company. You start out selling other people's shoes. You know, this right. was whatever in the seventies, <laughs> and he sort of built that to be his like retail channel and distribution in California. So I think yeah. he was selling. Onitsuka Tigers in California. Oh, yeah. And then he had all the relationship with the shoe makers, and he's like, I'm going to design my own shoes, right? So. Yeah, badass. I remember yeah, I listened to that as an audiobook like five, six years ago. It was great. Yeah, so. yeah, when it first came out, it was a lot of fun. And wasn't there, there were like two of them, I think, at the time. Could there was, be. There was I, I, one I, by Phil Knight and one that was like not by him or kind of. Shoe Dog is the one I remember. Yeah, I remember that. I can't remember the other one. Yeah, but anyway, but it's very cool. <laughs> anyway, it'd be fun to get those. Uh, they do a lot of really cool design stuff even even today uh i was hanging out with a friend a little bit earlier and uh he has a really fresh uh onitsuka design oh, on his shoes. So i was like okay cool right, yeah i check that out <laughs> feeling feeling some nostalgia we'll picks them up when we're in japan yeah 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 and the, i think these were from japan he actually you know went to the showroom there sweet so um yeah so what what's your uh you've been traveling you're back are you kind of here more situated permanently these days or yeah no i mean i <laughs> um the, you know everything always is, is in flux but for now yeah i mean i i had a good, fantastic summer um i took two trips one uh, originally actually i was visiting um with one of my portcos had an offsite in barcelona which was super fun mm. so i went for two days and then my girlfriend and i stayed in europe for two weeks and i have to say i got mediterranean pilled oh yeah um, <laughs> yeah pill. man dude it was like i i you know you always read this on twitter like oh you go to europe and you just feel so much better and i was like eh, i don't know that that seems kind of like mm-hmm. i don't know if that's true or not but I will say I, I'm somewhat of an interesting case today because I walk so much oh, yeah. here in America. Like yeah. I walk a lot. Yeah. 
And so I'm certainly not walking more, or if I am, not much more when I'm in Europe. And so when we were there, we ate obviously a lot of fresh. The vegetables tasted super crisp. The olive oil was incredible. We were drinking more wine than normal. And I have to say, man, like zero hangovers ever from wine. Like Mm. just my energy levels were off the charts. Like something is going on food wise over there that I don't Mm -hmm. know. I got, I got Euro pill. (laughs) (laughs) So like where else were you? So you went to Barcelona and then where else? And then we traveled, you know, um, for a couple weeks, uh, or not a couple weeks for two weeks. Um, we went for a couple days just on the Mediterranean in Spain and France. And so we were just kind of vagabonding. Like it was super fun. It was the first time I've been, you know, vagabonding without a Mm -hmm. plan since COVID. And so, yeah, we would just, we, you know, went to Figueres, um, Cadaqués, Coulier in France, and then up through Paris and then flew out of London. But it was great because we just kind of like, all right, let's go here, let's yeah. go there. And it was all just on each day you would wake up and decide what to do next. Yeah, or maybe decide the day before. But yeah, um, yeah it was super fun. I like fun. that style of travel. It's my dream, <laughs> man. Like I, I realize how much I miss that kind of spontaneity. And yeah, I need to find a way to like integrate that more. But yeah, it was super fun. And then when I uh, you know, I came back, obviously we had the AI for All Hackathon, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, shout out to Cody Lowe at Fetty who did a mm-hmm. lot of work you know, uh, putting that together. And it was really awesome. Yeah. We had some cool projects. It was great. I got to drop in and at least say hi. Oh yeah, hi, that's right. right. Yeah, I forgot. we overlapped <laughs> was for like a, it was a day. Short, we had it was a short visit, but we got to we had a stomach issue in the family. Yeah, <laughs> no worries. I've been there many times. Um, but so anyway, so that was great. And then I went to um, to Mexico for two weeks. Um, oh great! Yeah, and that was back with the old tribe. Back you were hanging back with the, well, two of my old tribes. One, um, my buddy Pablo and I. We haven't made music together since. Um, Not be Pablo. Well, not that Pablo, different Pablo. <laughs> Another the Pablo. Not Pablo F7Z. Um, this is Pavlov, as he goes by, as his producer name. But uh, yeah, we, we, this is one of my best friends, and we haven't made music together since COVID. And so we put down a couple of tracks. We just, yeah, started everything from scratch together, and that was super fun. Um, he's working on mixing those. At some point, I'll, I'll drop those. And uh, and then, yeah, two of my other best friends, we went into Veracruz in the mountains, and um, yeah, just got a chance to kind of uh galaxy brain a little bit which i always love and yeah anyways yeah, it was it was a fantastic summer that's cool and um in speaking of music did uh did we talk about or did you see the uh the spoof that we dropped oh my god yes <laughs> did we you talk guys, about that already <laughs> if you guys haven't watched it this man made one of the most hilarious videos with uh i don't even know how to describe it, like an elon musk <laughs> caricature i don't know like Let's just put it this way. DK is a man of many talents, an excellent song. We should link to it. I don't know, in the YouTube notes or yeah. whatever, but, yeah. it, was, but it was, it was, it was well done. It was kind of a spoof on Elon Musk and Twitter and kind of Hamilton, you know, music and track. So yeah, but <laughs> this man's talented. This that was man's good. talented. That was fun. Writing and singing, you know, <laughs> that's fun. So, uh, great. Well, let what, I mean, we've got a bunch of notes. I was thinking mm-hmm. that it would be fun. I almost feel like I'm a blank canvas again. Like yeah. I want to hear, you know, I know you curated most of the notes, I think, for today. So yep. I'd love to hear kind of what you're learning and kind of what you're thinking about, what's top of mind for you. Um, and one thing I was going to mention, uh, actually related to the video or kind of the music stuff, is uh, Stemster oh, rem- yeah. reminded me, have you played with store.app? You told me about it, and okay. I looked at it a couple weeks ago, but I haven't played with it recently. Okay. I've got a one of my to do's is to schedule some time with the guy who's working on that because he's in San Francisco. Amazing. Um, and we were talking about getting together when I'm here, but I, my understanding is it's kind of a, you know, PWA app store, so kind of a non-app cool. store app store. And um, I noticed when I just opened it up, you know, it's kind of a non, it's not a Nostra related thing. It's just you know a PWA thing. 
Um, but I noticed Stemster on his curated list of like things that you Let's should, go. you know, give a try, you know, for kind of PWA centric apps. So I love it. Um, and is he already kind of Noster pilled a little bit or? I believe he's, uh, so I, we were DMing about this. I'm trying to recall exactly what, I don't want to misrepresent what he said, but I think he said he's um, aware of it, but has not dug in. And that was one of the topics that we were going to cover. And then I sort of was talking broadly about how he thinks about payments in this thing and cool. his views on Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency stuff. And um, I I think he's pretty open and doesn't have a lot of uh, specific views on what should be what. So I think there's opportunity to sort of share our side of the world and how we see things. That's great. Uh, which would be good. And then, yeah, so, so that's that's one. I don't even know if I had it on the list, but I wanted to mention it because it kind of... I mean, it's a great idea. And, sparks connected. And, and maybe just pause it for one second because yeah. I've noticed, um, you know, you shared that on Twitter maybe a month or so ago. And I noticed a lot of more mainstream folks or mainstream, i.e. not Nostra folks, yeah. getting really excited about PWAs. I noticed a couple of tweets like, What's happening there is like PWA. Is that having like a real moment? Like, are oh, people? Do, do you know the friend dot tech thing? No. Oh, that's I think what's happening. And so, have you ever heard of friends for sale or stolen? Definitely not. Okay. These are <laughs> there's like this kind of idea that I'll call it like stock market for people. Okay. And it's kind of a game idea. Okay. Uh, it was first created as a Facebook app like in 2007. So when Facebook first launched the platform at a very relatively permissive API, yeah, yeah. you could pull all like kinds of friend relationships <laughs> and really try to understand who's connected to who. And and so um, these guys built a an app called Friends for Sale, and it was like I could buy Macs for, you know, like it's virtual currency. Bit of a weird name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then friends of mine could like bid, or friends of ours could bid more to like steal you from me okay right and so there's kind of this ownership front so that thing was very popular but also kind of crazy yeah. on facebook then they did the same thing it was called stolen and it was done on kind of twitter as a mobile app but with the twitter graph okay probably 10 years ago and that got shut down i think both by twitter and by apple because <laughs> it's like crazy <laughs> viral everybody wants to play with these things right they're like Interesting. Kind of, it's just like such a provocative yeah. you know funny idea and then um and so friend.tech is that same concept now done as a pwa website huh. and they've chosen to use ethereum for payments so for that i'm kind of like eh, shrug whatever yeah whatever yeah <laughs> but um but i think the thing that's interesting is that it's it i wouldn't by any means call it mainstream, but it's a use case that you couldn't really launch that thing in an app store. Got it. And so it, it touches on like thematically stuff that I think is exciting to think about, like what are the future of PWAs? How do you get these things adopted? Yeah. So it's a website that you, that you can only use as a PWA. You can't do it until you save it to your home screen and use it. And then you have all these like stock market for people and you use Ethereum for payment. So I haven't actually used it. I don't have any Ethereum, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> lest anyone question, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, I, so I haven't used it, but, um, but I, I think it's interesting in that it shows a use case that doesn't work. It's sort of incompatible with app stores, yeah. which is what I think is interesting is find the things that, are, you know, you can't do it on an app you store. You can't do it because, and I think, you know, adult and gambling are the obvious things that, like, you can't do. And maybe, and this is something in kind of gaming gambling-ish. Right. I'd, I'd call this kind of in the gambling category. 
But I think when you have those things, those are going to be the, if there's opportunities to give people more open tools, I think those are the categories that we'll see kind of really embrace those open tools first, just like it was on the early internet. Yeah, you know, those were, always. you know, they're just like, you know, there's money behind it. <laughs> there's direct monetization, you know, sort of. Um, e- easy to see the opportunities. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you see lots of innovation kind of led by that. So for that kind of an app, and I get why you need to do a PWA if the app store is not going to allow it, but what graph are they using? Cause they can't, I mean, it, this seems like, I mean, not this is the app that I wanna, would want to build or fund, but like, this seems like something that could use Nostra very well, no, using that kind of social graph. Yeah. I haven't played with friend.tech. Um, I don't know if, you know, it may be that it's bootstrap off of some Discord relationships, or maybe it's using Twitter relationships, but not kind of logging in via Twitter. Maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. You, you could make the game work with no graph. It's just easier to get started if you can already see people that are relevant. But, I mean, another way to do it is have no graph and start with, you know, a few dozen people or a few hundred people and kind of, like, let people see who's trending and what's popular and stuff like that. So I don't think graph is, like extremely critical to the potential for it to sort of pop. But also I think, you know, I think by now it's kind of faded. So it's not to say this is like the most durable, amazing use of the technology. It's more like here's an early example that needs this different approach and it does get enough visibility and people can kind of work their way through the challenges of it and still make it work. So, yeah. Well, look, I think Noster and PWAs are great allies. Yeah. So I think that's awesome. If anyone's experimenting with PWAs, then it's only one pretty easy step to Nostra from there. So it's cool. Yeah. And I, I know in the <clears throat> PWA world, so if I if I understand right, um, and I, I think we have it on our list, but Spring from Artur is not PWA, right? It's only um, Google Play Store app? Well, like at Android least app? to my understanding, because I mean, it's, it's definitely what I want to talk with you about. Yeah. I've read a lot about it, but I haven't experienced it firsthand because I don't have Android. Oh yeah, okay. So I would love for it to be WA. (laughs) Archer, if you're listening, we'd love a PWA. (laughs) I mean, I've seen some of the writing he's done on it in private, and I think he when I click on the things, I think it was linked through the Google Play Store. So it was, yeah. yeah. My understanding is it's a Google Play Store app, Mm -hmm. but it maybe has a vision or future to be more of just a web app and a PWA. Um but yeah, actually, so w- what is your understanding of Spring right now? Because I can... Yeah, no, well, yeah, let's start there. I mean, I have read a little bit as well um, from Artur, and my understanding, and again, this is kind of abstract because I haven't been able to play with it yet, but my understanding is it's a, it's the first Nostra browser, or one of the first Nostra browsers at least, and the idea is that you can plug in various micro apps into there. And so I did see some screenshots or like demos of him using it. And so you do have some of the news type functionality that you get from the Twitter clones, yep. but then you also have like, uh, I guess like kind of like an app store, like you can select different apps to do different things. Mm-hmm. I assume, um, I forget what was in there, but I assume it was, you know, DBM, Stemster, right. things like that. Is that a fair understanding or yeah, maybe you've played with it. So you have a better idea. No. So I haven't been able to use the Android app yet. So I kind of am in a similar position. Um, but we've traded a bunch of emails. I think you were on some of those threads. And uh, the stuff that, uh, you know, to me, it feels like it is kind of a key manager mm-hmm. plus a bunch of the existing web apps. So by Nostra Browser, it's kind of like it's Chrome, but with your keys already in place. Got it. To be able to browse things that were built not as kind of native mobile apps, but as web apps. So mm-hmm. they were kind of built to be used on the web. And then this is a browser to use them without having to sort of, you know, messy your keys into, you know, Chrome or whatever, your, your private keys. 
Um, but I, but I think that's kind of like, in a sense, to me, it feels like a little bit of a nice way to demo the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm still trying to understand exactly what Artur has in mind because I, mm-hmm. I think he's got, I mean, he's just like thought about this a lot and has a lot of ideas and they've already built a lot of this stuff. But the thing that grabs me as interesting here is that, you know, I think you can, today, if you want to be in like that ecosystem, you basically have to build a full featured web app. So you have to have something to do with the keys and then some way to view the thing. And a lot of it is, you know, like, like I think I saw a highlighter on there and I saw, um, actually I think we have the list. Yeah. Let's I think I have a list up somewhere here. This might, this might be the other, you mentioned, is it Ifan who's doing the yeah, other browser thing? I don't know Ifan, but I've, I followed his work and he has like another, what I assume is kind of a browser as well, like yeah. a lot of different apps in there. Yeah. And so here, I'll just pull this up. So my understanding is this is like chess, coracle, habla, highlighter, iris.2, nostra.band, nostra.build. And these are each, you know, built as independent web apps. Mm-hmm. And then this is like a way to browse the fully built full stack web apps. And the thing that I think is the most interesting thing about this kind of space is that you can take the app ideas and build them into, you know, build micro apps instead of apps. Mm. And so instead of building a full end-to-end experience, maybe somebody could just build like a really great DM experience that can be plugged into everything else. Mm -hmm. Somebody else could build like a really great, I don't know, feed consumption experience. And then that can just sort of be used by everybody who wants to build a different kind of feed consumption. Got it. And we're not at that stage yet. And I think to get there, we would need somebody to like, make a proposal, like a concrete proposal to say, um, you know, here's sort of the spec, here's like a crappy prototype version of a DM app. And now everybody wants to go, go build something crazy and awesome, build the very best DM app that, you know, could be there. And if you build it in this, it's like a new layer of abstraction. Mm. And so it should be that these layers allow for things to be like more like kind of atomic in a way, like you have smaller atoms that you can play with which should mean that you don't have to do, oh, I'm going to commit to building a full end-to-end, you know, a Twitter clone or a full-featured everything. But you can say, I just I want to do a hack project on the weekend and just replace this core functionality with a slightly better one. Got it. And I imagine that means, and I think my understanding was Artur was mentioning, you could just write, like, for example, like a weird script or even, like, if one day I think he was talking about doing his own, like, drag-and-drop type experience or maybe you want to just do one very different thing where it's like, hey, I just want to customize when I like something that it gives this emoji or like, I don't know, this amount of sats or whatever. Is that kind of your thinking? Is this going to allow for a lot more like kind of weird custom long tail of apps to be plugged into various things as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I would almost think of them as like long tail of like features within apps. So if you want to do yeah, like a special exactly. custom emoji today, if you wanted to build... Let's say that you wanted a custom emoji, I think, right? They're like reaction types, right? If you wanted to do it with like a special animation, you can't just do that. You have right. to like build a full Twitter clone in order to build the Got animated emoji thing that you want. And if you had these atomic units and these like kind of Legos or building blocks more kind of carefully defined or sort of componentized, mm. then you could just like be like, okay, here's kind of the Twitter clone kind of demo where, yep. and you can use the key store from the spring browser. And then maybe your profile is done by, was it Nosta or, you know, one of those things does yeah. something of a profile builder and designer. And then another tool 
is like the feed consumption and another tool yeah. is like the composer. And then you're like, actually, I don't like the way they did the composer. I want to do my own composer where I can upload GIFs or something or, you know, whatever, something that's not supported in the other way. And then somebody's like, actually, I want like a view. I want all of that stuff, but I want a view where I can just see all the videos. So only show me messages that contain videos and then show me it in like a TikTok consumption experience. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to build a whole app. I'm only going to build a TikTok consumption experience that plugs into this kind of infrastructure. Super interesting. And so, I mean, okay, my mind is running with a lot of things. In some levels, this feels almost, one, like a marketplace, (laughs) or it could become a marketplace, which is interesting. Two, almost like an OS level. Is that like a fair way to think about it? And then you have all these apps within apps. And then you could even imagine like if you, in that version we just saw, you click on DMs. Within that, then you could also have sub apps in there. Like once you click on the DM app in there, it's like, hey, like here are the various emoji apps. Here are the various whatever. And each of those could have like, hey, pay 100 satoshis to unlock this or whatever. Yeah, totally. Fascinating. Now, what about the world where, you know, depending on how good LLMs get really quickly with coding and stuff, what do you think about the world where you're like, actually, I want this experience you just described with TikTok. And I'm just going to speak it. Yeah, I'm just going to be yeah. like, hey, I want a red app that gives me a TikTok-like consumer experience and I only want to see videos of uh, Pedro Salchicho, weenie dogs, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, that's 100% the future. And I don't know if we're there in like, three weeks or 10 years mm. like it's somewhere in between there <laughs> very strict window thanks dk <laughs> i'm like gonna stick a stick a flag in the ground and i've got the kind of three weeks to 10 year um gap so you can t- take the over under or whatever good, good horizon <laughs> i'll probably take the over on three weeks but then hell i don't know <laughs> no no i've got three weeks to 10 years oh, you've fuck. got you've got either you know over 10 years or under three weeks oh fuck <laughs> But um, I guess what I'm saying is the, yeah, the, these things are going to happen where you can just speak. I mean, I think that's what's, I think that the most interesting thing about the AI stuff is how it's going to enable every human on the planet to have custom software designed to exactly their needs. Yeah, it's super cool. It's like, you think about the history of like commercial software <laughs> and then like hobbyist stuff and then open source. And I think the LLM code gen thing in various flavors of it are going to enable, if you look, there's 8 billion people in the world, and if you look at it, roughly 0%, like what is it, 1%, 2%, it's like rounds to zero, how many people actually can write software to serve those 8 billion people. Super small, like 100 million or something, probably. Yeah, if that, yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, for quality software, you know. Probably like 8 million. Yeah. (laughs) So we're talking tiny numbers of people who write the software that powers all 8 billion people's lives. That's crazy. And, you know, you think about just like little features, like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if anybody in the Nostra world has built, like, there's a lot of people who speak languages that read right to left. And then there's different affordances and how you'd want to show those kinds of things in a feed and how you might want to have, you know, maybe the composer works very differently in those languages. That's, I mean, there's probably, I don't know, it's probably a billion people who read those kinds of languages. Like, I think there's Arabic or Hebrew or, you know, some of those, I think probably Hebrew, I think, not, not Arabic, but I think Hebrew reads right to left. Hmm. And so nobody's probably built that yet, yeah. or maybe they haven't. I've just not heard of it. But, but like that's a still a big segment. There's right. software that like I bet there's software that you or your you know your friends or your, your you know somebody in your family who doesn't write any software would have a very specific need that's specific to them. And LLMs are going to unlock the ability for them to just speak their desires. So cool and get it into code and software that's deployed and usable by them. I mean, this is magic. 
Yeah. Literally, yeah. you're like speaking a spell into existence and yeah. like, boom, you've got software <laughs> like that's. Do, do you think in that world then is natural language going to be the most powerful programming language? I mean, I'm assuming there will always be like super artisans that can oh, yeah. go in there yeah. at the, just like today, there's still people that go down and do whatever C++ or Rust or whatever, but there's far fewer of those than there are of JavaScript. There's going to be far fewer of those than there are probably the LLM speakers. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that's a good way to think about it or? Yeah, sure. And, and. And I think like one of the things that's tough about writing software is even like specifying what you want it to do in various edge cases and right. various future things that are not explored. So English language is not a very specific way to express ideas. And Rust is a much, much more specific way to express ideas. Right. 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 So I don't know how you bridge that. It's got to be bridged at some point. But like today, the way it gets bridged is like you talk to somebody who knows how to write the software. And then when you make some vague ask they ask you follow-up questions to make your ask more specific well how are you going to handle the date in the date field there and what happens when this thing overruns to that thing you know sort of talk you through the 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 corner cases the edge cases that they see because they actually know how to think about specifying it in a very specific language totally so so that's part of the llm challenges how do you explore the space and do the follow-up questions to ask uh non-technical person what what the edge cases are on the software they're sort of asking to be written totally but you can i mean i mean obviously very quickly imagine the llms get good enough where you just keep doing iterative cycles with them they say hey do you like kind of like when you go to the you know the um what do you call it the eye doctor there's a real name for Uh, it but yeah, optometrist or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and they're just like, is this one better or this one? Right, this one, yeah. this one. And I could just see an LM being like this or this, this or this, right, and you just right. keep getting more and more. And and of course, if you if you ever really want to go down to the base level code, maybe there'll be marketplaces. You know, like I, I kind of like um, the direction like that Replit is heading with this, where it's yeah. like you have the LLM. You know, more people learn to code. Some will just speak it. Some will do some coding. Some speaking it. You've then got bounties that you can place out there yeah. for people to help you either debug your code or improve yeah. it. I don't know. I, I think that that kind of generic mm, direction of more people speaking software into existence, but also having like a robust marketplace for the actual developers to be brought in when you need to. Yeah, that seems at least like medium term. What's going to happen? Yeah, and I, yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's almost like it's going to be a new layer of abstraction where like the real craftsman artisan developers, like if you know what you're doing, yeah, you can be even more effective at what you're trying to accomplish it's easier to i was talking to a friend and he's kind of like really are people gonna be just like you know speaking code stuff it's like i i sort of see it as like like how many people who work i don't pick your favorite company what's your favorite company favorite software company i don't know replit let's just take replit okay (laughs) how many people at replit are like um you know etching pn junctions yeah, to, like to the super boring stuff. No, no, it's or like it's super no, low level. Almost it's no so one. low level that nobody's doing it. Yeah, like that. It's a solved problem. Right, like right. Outsource it to Intel or you know yeah. ARM or somebody. But um, but then like who's writing the ones and zeros? Yeah, someone well, same. Is. But no, it's 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 like it's a different layer of abstraction. Yeah, yeah. Solved, right? So so and then today we're like, well, well, who's writing the Rust code? Yeah. Well, somebody is actually right. right. But um, but you can, it doesn't mean that nobody should or can, but it's like if you really want an artisan or a craftsman in their writing Rust code, you probably are like really at the bleeding edge of needs. Right. But if you're like, oh, I need a thing to help me schedule my calendar with my family better and it kind of needs to do this. And like if somebody calls or texts that, then just respond this way. You can kind of just describe that. Totally. It's not like super, 
it's not super sophisticated engineering required. I mean, today it's it's still, you know, you have to gather requirements and figure out exactly what to build. So it's not like it's done today, but it's like that kind of thing should be should be doable through these. And then the real artisans and craftsmen should be able to do, you know, kind of more advanced, you know, like, just, you know, the frontier of this, right? Instead totally. of just sort of, the, like, the rest of it should become commodity and available to everybody basically for free. I love it. And to your point, like, you just keep getting higher and higher abstracted up the stack. More people can do higher, can do more interesting things and experiment faster, get, like, prototypes yep. out there the higher you are up the stack. Yep. And so we were talking about spring. Right? Oh, yeah, and spring, saying, Archer, yeah. <laughs> so you are talking about how, like, do people just speak these mm-hmm. ideas into existence? And I think, like, Yes, probably in the long term, or at least, you know, three weeks, it'll be at least three weeks from now is my bet. (laughs) Um, But I think there's like, you know, there's plenty of time in between where there's going to be, you know, like experts, you know, sophisticated software engineers writing these things. And I would suspect that, um, you know, this, you know, a special emoji animation thing should be listed as like a component Mm -hmm. that everybody else can then pull from. Yeah, totally. And, um, and I think we don't really have, we don't have an ecosystem for that because we don't have anybody like orchestrating how to do this. So I, I, I pointed out that I think the best example we have, and I haven't, I haven't programmed for, um, Android before, but I'm familiar with this. Do do you know this architectural thing called intense or I think you were on this, this thread. So, um, so unlike we're both iPhone people, right? So unlike the iPhone, like the iPhone, if you want to send me a message, mm-hmm. I have to receive it in iMessage. You have to receive the response in iMessage, right? right. In um, in Android, they have a thing called an intent. Hmm. And an intent is like, I can define, hey, I want some other app to be my handler for incoming messages. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. And so I can say, instead of the default messaging app, I want it to be handled by app X, which yeah. knows, it has you know written to the same kind of spec and handles the, the messaging intent. Well, I think there's like the same kind of concept within Noster should be able to exist, which is like, hey, this is going to be my DM handler. Right. And like, and I think the way to instigate this, you have to write like at least a demoware prototype version of the DM handler Mm -hmm. just to show people, oh, here's an end-to-end functioning thing and it has the DMs and it has all the pieces. But then I think somebody will see the kind of, you know, intentionally or kind of purposely prototypey demoware version. Of it. They'll be like, you know what? I can actually do like a great version of this. Or I've been working on this. Like, like Hodelbot has done a <laughs> lot of work on on messaging, right? I right. think that's one of the things he's really, really gotten deep on. So maybe he sees it and he comes along and he's like, actually, okay, the demoware version of DMs are just no good. I've actually spent time making this work really well. And so I'm going to plug it in. Or maybe some of the simplex ideas make their way in. Or, you know, there's all kinds of, of, ways to innovate but instead of everybody starting a new twitter clone right i would love to see this future where everybody you know we need some orchestration or some sort of coordination among the people who are interested in this ecosystem to help get us like first the prototype of an end-to-end experience but designed with a kind of intent style architecture like a pluggable architecture more modular you can just yeah modular yeah. yeah yeah And then you've got, I think that's, I mean, at least when I say or hear micro apps, that's what I have in mind. I don't know if that's what other people have in mind. No, I I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And I guess, yeah, I I had maybe had some trouble visualizing that, but now seeing a little bit like just like the example of like, hey, I can plug and play a DM app. I can plug and play a different Twitter app. I can plug and play a different, I don't know, music app or whatever. I think that's pretty cool to me. 
Um, I think then, as we've talked about many times in the show, the big interesting question becomes curation mm-hmm. and discovery. Yep. Okay. So there's an infinite long tail of like weird DM apps out yep. there. How do I decide what's interesting? Yeah. And this gets to a lot of what Archer was working with, with Nostra.band and some of the stuff that we've talked about with kind of the Satoshi signal rank or the market yep. rank, which is in an infinite world of like weird micro apps. How do I find that social signal? This is what my friends are using and what's compatible with them versus not. Yeah. And so I think that, yeah, that again, search and discovery is still the big opportunity. And, and I think that's, no. I think that's what Archer's doing with, is it, uh, I'm going to misrepresent it. Is it Nosterband.link or Nosterlink or? Oh, the app manager. It's like, yeah, something like that. Yeah. I think that's where that goes or what he has in mind, if I understand correctly. Yeah. And I, I don't want to misrepresent or speak for Artur. Artur, if you're listening, we're wrong. Tell us. <laughs> yeah. Artur, tell us what, uh, what we're, what these tools are actually called and what you're, you have in mind for them. Cause we're kind of just like riffing. But, um, I, I think there's something in the Noster, Nosterband.link that is like an app store for Nost, like a, like a redirect or kind of a pointer to the sets of apps that you might want to use. And so I could imagine, you know, using this kind of prototypey app and then, you know, being like, oh, here's the default DM thing, but now I want to just find out, hey, which of the people that I'm following, right? like who's using which DM apps and probably like whatever one, you know, Max has chosen is probably a reasonable one for me to do to get off the default, the demo, right? And probably you found it because you were talking to Pablo or somebody else. So I think there's like a lot of social signal Mm -hmm. that we can use to help curate which apps we might want to use. Totally. And so you can start with the default experience, but then you can easily like choose whatever you want, but you can see like a list of, well, which DM micro app are the people that I am following using and like, where's there a lot of social signal there? And I think you could almost, it, it is like an app store in a way. Yeah. But it's not an app store like, hey, download an app and log into a new thing. It's just like a, it's a totally different layer of abstraction. Yeah. It's like the sense that like the the browser mm-hmm. is the OS for the web. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It doesn't, it's not, it's not competing with Windows and Mac OS. It's just a new level of abstraction. New level of abstraction. I think that's what micro apps are or can be in my mind. Yeah, I love that. And like, and agreed. I mean, and it could also be like, you could be very, very specific, right? Like say you're left-handed. You could say, okay, just show me the left-handed people. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. Or yeah. say you live in Egypt or whatever, just show me these users and like, okay, who do I respect and find yeah, there? Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be really cool. Or exactly, you could also have like, show me the app that I like now. Great. You know, maybe there's a marketplace for that. I pay whatever, a thousand sats to unlock it. Oh, by the way, yeah. You know, if I want to customize it, I have the options to use an LLM app that does it for me, or there's a marketplace of devs I can click, customize, tell them exactly what I want. Yeah, I, I think the general theme here is just there's going to be a lot more customized apps yep. for you, whoever yep. you are. Yep. Yeah. Which is badass. That's an exciting future. But I, but I think to get there, we need to sort of galvanize momentum around like these orchestration layers and what's the definition so what do you think is the first step because i know it looks like archer is playing with this ethan is playing with this like i I think this helped me with what ethan was um showing and hopefully i'll be able to play with archers as a pwa soon Mm -hmm. what do you think is the concrete next step like do these guys they're already kind of bringing in other people's apps there do they need to go out there and build their own do they need to recruit people to build different apps you can see the difference when you plug and play what do you think is the next step for spring yeah i mean i again this is just you know Archer's really thought about this. I'm, I've, I've been thinking about it, but he's actually building it. So, um, you know, I'd want to hear from him what his thoughts are. Of course, yeah. 
Uh, but I, I get the sense that, you know, like somebody, maybe, maybe Arthur, somebody would need to build an end to end app with the prototype level of functionality and maybe write out a hypothesis or proposal for what the interface is. Yeah. Like how should the interface, like what layer of abstraction should these interfaces live? Right. Right. So you kind of, maybe that's the starting point is you write up a long form piece on like, I'm proposing, you know, a micro app architecture that looks like that. And I, I don't know, maybe somebody's done this already. So I might yeah. just be, if you have, tell us <laughs> yeah, if you have, we want to hear about it, but like, here's what a micro architect, micro app architecture should look like. Here's kind of the layer of abstraction. Here's how parameters should be passed. And here's how discovery or here's how sort of installation or like, here's sort of what a manifest of the set of micro apps that a given, you know, app is composed of. And, um, and I think somebody should just like write up a long form thing, probably no code, just write up a long form thing about here's my proposal for what it should be. And then at least people can gather around that and be like, eh, I don't like that version of it, or let's move it up or let's move it down and kind of begin the discussion. Cause I think until you have some social consensus around kind of what's the right layer of abstraction to build these things, it's going to be hard to really get started. And I don't think you can do, you know, like bounties or other kinds of, you know, in a sense, those are just like incentive motivations. I think what you really need to do is sort of get a bunch of people collaborating and agreeing to, and you know, debating and discussing what, what layer of abstraction would make sense. And what are the problems if we go too low? What are the right. problems if we go too high? And, and my I, guess is we'll see different people try different levels. And that's cool too. Like yeah. I mean, at some point, obviously getting some more consensus to, to build some momentum is good. But like, I, I think to me, part of the magic moment will be kind of like in the early days of Noster, there were two magic moments, the zap, obviously. And the other yeah. magic moment for me was I created, you know, my private keys in Domus yeah. and then uploaded it to Albi and yeah. I was able to log into another site. When I yeah. showed that to people, they just yeah. mind yeah. blown. My guess is with something like this, it's going to blow people's minds when you can just be like, actually, I'm going to trade out this whatever instant messaging app and like, yep. here's 20 others. Oh, here's the one that like whatever Pablo likes. Boom. Put yep. that in. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. I'm excited for that. So um, you had mentioned, uh, you'd mentioned paying sats for things and mm -hmm. it kind of reminded me of um, a slightly different topic or maybe it's too far afield, but I, I, I know that, I mean, there's, there's this big question that keeps coming up and, you know, when I sort of explain Nostra to people, they're like, well, how do you pay for all these relays to operate? And, um, and I don't, I don't, you know, I kind of, today my answer is, oh, you know, it's hobbyists, it's out of the goodness of their heart, it's ideologically want this thing to succeed. So most people are kind of holding, you know, you know, sort of suspending disbelief <laughs> or kind of, you know, subsidizing the cost of, say, running a relay. And I know there was like a bunch of experiments around paid relays. Yeah. And I just, I was, was it, um, I thought, did Camary shut down? Did, I think so, yeah. Pay, was it the paid relay or the free relay? I think it was the paid one. And do you know, did, I thought, I heard people asking like, oh, what happened? Like, was it not effective or the money didn't cover it? Or do, do you know what the state of the world is with respect to like paid relays and like, what the postmortem is on Camary's relay or what? Not really. I mean, I remember his note, I believe. So I also don't want to misrepresent it, but yeah, yeah I think the general gist was like, it was costing him. I don't know. I don't remember exactly how much it was. I imagine at least seven or seven, several hundred dollars. Right. And so probably just wasn't worth the, uh, the cost. And frankly, the, the time to run it would be my guess. But I mean, a lot of the other paid relays are still thriving, or at mm -hmm. least it looks that way. Like the Domus relay appears to still be going. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's paid or not, actually. I don't remember. Um, 
I know the thing that I was very interested in was Ellen Bits released some software maybe three months ago or so where you could not just do the one-time payment, but also do like pay-per-byte, mm-hmm. which I thought was super cool. And so I have no Is idea. Is that pay-per-byte of storage? I believe it was to write, yes. I don't know. If, right? I okay. mean, I'm sure they had a customized. You could do reorder. Because bandwidth, CPU, and storage are kind of, I don't know which one's the... I, I think it was storage, but yeah. yeah. If someone's listening, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. But my, I guess, CPU desire simple. would be yeah. to see someone try that. And yeah. I don't know if anyone has yet. Most of, I mean, I haven't plugged in any new relays since whatever, my first couple months in Noster. Right. And so almost all the ones I'm using was just like a one-time payment. Right. I've kind of added things and played with it a little bit little bit of configuration, but I don't feel like I yet have like why I should try something new or which ones I should be trying next. Like I, I you know, I, I've heard different sides of this. Like I think, um, I think, I think the discussion I had with Hodelbod, we were talking about um, using, you know, thinking about relays as almost like a magazine or like a gathering point for yep. people of a common interest. Pa- Pablo was talking about a very similar vision for that. Okay, cool. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's some kind of social consensus that those that maybe like a topic-based relay is kind of the way to go um but i don't know how to like discover them and how much should they show up in the ui like do 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 end users want to think about oh i'm going to visit the i don't know the the nostrica relay to catch all the latest information about like the the nostrica you know event it's a good question i mean i i think right now Obviously, it's just easier if you have most of the data sort of aggregating in a small handful of relays. Obviously, that's super centralized. Obviously, there's like concerns around that. Um, I think just thinking from the naive user perspective, if I were to like add a new relay, exactly, I would need some reason to do that. And so one thing would be if there were, you know, posters that I wanted to read, like like exclusive content, like you could imagine as one example um, a, you know, if a celebrity comes onto Nostra at some point and they're like, actually, I'm just posting to my relay. Mm-hmm. Now, eventually that can get spread along, but if you want to get, you know, there's some, you know, you want first access to it, or there's some custom reason you want that there, right. you have to be on my relay. Otherwise, no bueno. Right, right. And so my guess is that you're going to need some kind of exclusive content or some hook to get people mm-hmm. tied in there. Um, and I also think that like, yeah, if I'm a content creator, I could see reasons why I would want to host my own data there too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I, I, I think there's like a purpose that we could identify, but it hasn't yet bubbled through the ecosystem. Either the creators haven't shown up yet or the software doesn't support it yet. Yeah. And the UI, I think, doesn't typically showcase it. I think there's, there is, is it Coracle maybe? Or one of the things actually does show an indication of which relay this note came from. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, I, was that Coracle or might have been Snort or Iris? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I'm having a tough time recalling. It's it's been it's been a little bit. It's been a little bit for Um, me too. (laughs) But Uh, uh, but yeah. But one other kind of related topic to what we were talking about before that I I wanted to make sure we touch on. We've been texting a little bit about you know I think someone had asked you, hey, what are you most excited about Nostra these days? And you talked a lot about the browser stuff, which I think is very cool. To me, I have to say, I am super excited about this DVM stuff. Yeah. So, so yeah, let's, let's talk data vending machine. Let's talk data okay. vending machine, man. So I, you know, it's, first of all, it's hard to keep track because Pablo obviously <laughs> is, is coding up a storm every day, but I, you know, I love this concept. And at first I wasn't sure I mean, like if the name was the right name, but now I think it's kind of amusing because you had the EVM and now there's mm-hmm, DVM mm-hmm, and right. it's kind of interesting, but the concept for anyone that hasn't played with this is very simple. You know, the way Pablo explains it is you put data in pay some sats or pay some money, get new data out. And that's like basically just a way of saying you're just like paying for computation. Mm-hmm. And that becomes interesting because then you can do any kind of computation. 
And which is in a way the whole idea of the world computer, which is why I think DBM is an interesting play on EVM and kind of funny. Mm. Now, what's interesting to that is kind of to your point with all the different apps and micro apps, you can have multiple different DVMs that are chainable. And I think that's a really powerful primitive. You can basically take a job, break it down into many, many different subtasks and have each of those completed by the same or a different person or a different machine. And so where I've been getting really excited about this, and I think the interfaces are still really nascent, um, but is, you know, I've I've been really focused on the AI stuff. Mm -hmm. And so this summer we had um, this hackathon and, you know, the, the kind of thesis of the hackathon AI for all is this idea of like, what can be done at the edge? Something we've talked a lot about um, by kind of just normal people or, you know, consumer grade or, you know, mid tier enterprise grade hardware. And so what's really cool is in the AI for all hackathon, there were a bunch of different projects, but there were a couple of people who initially were doing, they were using the L402 thing from Lightning Labs where you pay an invoice, get something mm-hmm. done. Then they saw the DVM uh, idea. And I don't know, I think those are slightly different, but they, they ended up using the DVM construct, um, which I think could actually work with the L402, but the DVM construct to basically say, hey, we can have lots of different, um, basically a marketplace for each sub job. Mm-hmm. And so the project that won the AI for all hackathon was cool because, you know, I forget the exact details, but you could basically say, I want X thing done, like create me a poster or, you know, a marketing ad. And I right. want it to have, you know, a background of the beach and I want it yeah. to have, you know, Heineken beer can or whatever it is on right. there. And like, you know, potentially, I don't know if they had this on there, but you could have easily plugged this in like marketing text yeah. that's written, you know, to go after this audience. And it was so cool because then it like the first, I guess, sort of like AI component broke it up into five constituent components and sort of like the baby AGI stuff Mm -hmm. or some of those other guys out there. So you break it into components. Each of those components then is its own job and that's farmed out um, as a DVM, which now has a knit behind it. So it's a standard. And so that's farmed out to the Nostra network. And those jobs can either be uh, done in parallel or sequentially, right? So Mm -hmm. you can have that, you know, um, sort of tagged. And what's cool is then they showed they had a market. I don't know if they were, they were running them all themselves for this. I think so. But they had this marketplace of like, okay, this one, um, you know, image generation model that again, is probably just run on some dude's GPU is going to be able to do this job to create the background. Right. And this image generation model is going to create the, uh, the beer can. And this, you know, LLM is going to create the text for mm-hmm. there. And each of those was different and they were all chained together. And it was just really, to me, it was just like a powerful aha moment where it's like, man, if you think about it, yeah. you could subdivide almost any job yeah. into a lot of mini tasks. Right. And then, you know, some of those jobs, increasingly more and more of those jobs will be done by new AI models. Uh-huh. And you could plug in and say, like, maybe I really do need for this really sophisticated copywriting, I need to call Open AI, uh, OpenAI's API because it's just the best in the world. Cool. Yeah. But maybe there's like a separate version of the ad where I need it to say something that Sam Altman doesn't think is kosher. And like, mm-hmm. so I need to use someone, you know, running a llama right. or whatever. I just want to do the cheaper thing because it doesn't need to be perfect. And, you know, I could have kind of your version. I could have 20 different versions of the ad or 20 different versions of the poster that I'm creating right. all done instantly or, you know, really quickly by many different people. And you could also have humans farmed in there too, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like you could say, okay, you know, I need whatever, all this done by the, uh, the AIs, the first poster and copyright. Yep. But then you could also have a human come in and review it and say, do some, you know, reinforcement learning. Actually, no, this is good. This is bad. Mm-hmm. Or like edit it to make sure it's perfect, crystal clear. Right. And they could also get paid sats. Right, right, right. And so when you just start to see the potential for this, it's just mind blowing because, you know, again, almost anything can be subdivided. Software, 
you know, marketing, yep. whatever, into lots of constituent parts. And when you can chain together an open free market of AIs competing yep. for those, like that's like some really powerful stuff. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'd say believer and fan of that kind of vision that you're, you're laying out. Um, I do wonder what is a good initial path to get there Agreed. because, um, you know, it, like let's say the competitor to that idea mm-hmm. is the single source AI providers right. who today are actually subsidizing a lot of the training and inference. Totally. And so if you're paying on a very transactional basis and you're not getting the value of the subsidies that the kind of, you know, maybe if you want to call it overinvestment that some people may be making, we don't know yet, but, TBD. you know, <laughs> but people may be overinvesting to some extent to try to win market share or to try mm-hmm. to be the first, uh, you know, ultimately like a branding and kind of user kind of uh, acquisition thing. But if people are competing in that way, then that's the competition for like the things that are transacting, you know, it's a very transactional value in that marketplace, but the market is not yet efficient enough to sort of navigate demand toward that kind of very efficient vision. So I wonder, you know, it's not to say that it's too early. It, it may actually be the right time, but I feel like if it's the right time, then we should try to figure out what is the type of use case that, like, can we think of frameworks or structures for what kinds of use cases may be the first to really get advantage from this? Totally. Well, so I have, I have some thoughts around that. I would love yeah. to get yours as well. So I think, obviously, some of the first use cases are just going to be hobbyists, just like with mm-hmm. Lightning, you know, in the early days or whatever. And so I was really excited to see, I don't know if you checked out the new release from Current. I was pretty impressed. I played with it this oh, morning. I haven't seen it they have a new tab in there. Like those guys have been shipping like Mm -hmm. real talk. And, um, so shout out to the current team, like well well done. Um, they already have the ability to generate your, um, I guess profile picture or an image in the app and in the background it's today, it's just using their own, Mm -hmm. uh, image generation model, but they're using DVM so that you could easily have a marketplace for that. Oh, cool. And so if you look, um, Pablo has Vendata, IO out there, which is, it's complicated. It's got a lot on there. But um, if you go it's to his- VIN data, right? V-I-N? V-E-N, V-E-N. like VIN, like vendor. Oh, okay. Um, D-A-T-A dot I-O. Okay. And so on VIN data, they have, if you go to VIN data slash jobs, you can see all of the recent jobs that were done by uh, DVM. And oh, like, cool. it's picking up steam. And a lot of that is, I think in the last day or two, it's current users that are generating their profile pictures or whatever in the app. So oh, cool. a lot of it's going to be hobbyist use just to yeah, kind of yeah. get started. But like, People will play with it. I play with it, right? Today it was all free. I'm sure soon you'll have to like pay a couple sats per thing. Cool. Mm-hmm. So you'll get some hobbyists using it. But I think to see kind of like mainstream adoption, I think my two hypotheses, three hypotheses, hypothesis number one, um, <laughs> like we talked about, and this is obviously going to be one of them, is uh, stuff that the centralized companies won't let you do. Mm-hmm. So if you want completely uncensored access to a model and OpenAI or Google you know, has trained their model differently. Well, this is the only way to get that done. So, Uh you know, whatever, whatever groups for whatever reasons need an uncensored version of the model, that's going to be one big use case. Second big use case, I think could be, it remains to be seen. Um, but potentially users that have difficulty, like, um, in emerging markets accessing, uh, open AI or some Mm -hmm. of the other APIs because they don't have access to a credit card. I actually don't know how much of a real challenge that is or how many of these users exist. Um, but at least in theory, that's a very big market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever group of people can't access Stripe, let's say. Right, right. And then the third is, um, you know, 
and this kind of gets into a little bit of another idea I'm very excited about with GPU Topia launching recently, which oh, is yeah. badass. Yeah. Um, but there is just like also like a shortage of GPUs for inference right now. Mm-hmm. And so, and I imagine, yes, there's like overbuild happening. I don't know how quickly that's going to happen, but there will probably be some points in the market where, you know, you can't get everything you need done by some of these centralized providers. Right. I don't think that's hit yet, but you could imagine a world where there's a lot of demand to do whatever thing your startup wants to do. And just, you know, if you can't get the GPUs for inference, you know, perhaps this open marketplace. And so the idea behind GPU Topia, not to, to steal the thunder at that is, um, this literally just launched a day ago, click a button, offer your GPU and you're not, uh, using it, get paid mm-hmm. in sats. Mm. And so you could imagine you have kind of two marketplaces, a marketplace for GPUs. They already had, I think about a hundred users that are doing this and testing it. And mm-hmm. one day, I think this is going to go like really yeah. fast. Yeah. And then you could have potentially a marketplace for like AI agents on top of that. And so maybe there is like, I don't know, this long tail that's only available on the crowdsourced GPUs. Right, right, right. I see. Yeah, that that makes sense. My my understanding is that even getting the GPU mm-hmm. kind of the hardware that you want today is often you know nearly impossible. You, yeah. You're not getting your order fulfilled to the same extent that you hope or demand. Right. Um, so it seems like there's like something around kind of a mismatch in uh, kind of supply and demand on just the hardware side. So if somebody has access to the hardware. That, that that does seem like a credible type of thing that you could like say I'm gonna train for a little bit on this and then switch it out. So maybe kind of do you remember the old um, the old architecture of of programming was that you kind of would timeshare. Oh yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, I mean, not that I was around, then, but <laughs> yeah. But um, but that same idea maybe will make sense for GPUs, and it's like a global timeshare of GPUs. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I, I made a bit of a, a tongue in cheek, spicy tweet this morning. Mm-hmm. that got a little bit of traction where I was basically like, you know, my thesis at Hivemind, one of my theses is to pick quote unquote crypto projects that are interesting, yeah. strip out the unnecessary token, rebuild it with lightning payments and Nostra. Mm-hmm. And so three of the big markets that I've been excited for about for a long time, one is distributed compute. And so we've seen stuff like um, Gollum back yep. in 2017 and now Jensen, which just raised a big series A. Um, and then You've got distributed markets for bandwidth and storage, which, you know, you've got Filecoin, all that stuff, Helium. Mm-hmm. I, I basically just think, and by the way, if anyone's building this stuff, I really want to invest in companies using lightning payments for markets for distributed bandwidth, storage, and compute. Um, but this first one for compute just makes so much sense to me because, again, I know for a fact startups are like the differentiating factor for a lot of investors is, can we give you GPU access, yeah, right? Yeah. And so that may not be the case forever, but there is a moment in time, at least now, where like that is a big deal. And so, you know, people have given me different estimates. Maybe you have an idea of like how much latent GPU access is out there. I don't think anyone actually knows. Yeah, I don't think anybody knows. But my, my sense is that things are more, uh, you know, that, that they're very demand constrained. Yeah. Or, or sorry, well, supply constrained. So there's too much demand. Um, so I would guess like there's not a lot of GPUs just lying fallow, if that's what you mean. Well, maybe. I mean, I, I think we'll find out, right? So just to, you know, to play the kind of the other side of that, yeah. like there's a lot of gaming computers out there. I'm not saying those are like, they're certainly not the top of the line cards or whatever, but right. you know, potentially could do some inference work. Um, my, my understanding is the gaming stuff and the AI stuff is like pretty different from the hardware perspective. It could I be. I mean, I'm certainly not an expert. Okay. This definitely for training for inference. I'm not sure. Okay. I, I think some inference could be done on that. I think, um, two other big factors though. One is there's probably, I'm guessing on this and we'll find out 
I'm hearing a little bit through the grapevine that mm-hmm. we have some early data points. The answer is yes. There's like a lot of like Ethereum miners out there. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know, like CoreWeave, they were pure Ethereum miner. They, you know, pivoted 18 months or whatever ago to go all in on compute for right. uh, AI training and inference. And now, you know, they've received investment from NVIDIA. They're like one of like... Didn't they do... What Was was the number... Somehow the number... It's crazy. Is it 23 billion or 2.3 billion? They have some... I, I doubt 23. I don't know the that number, but, too it's, big, but it's huge. Yeah. But something where they were going to like... They were... I think they were going to acquire these chips and then they were going to like take a loan and lever against it. To, I, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> what, what could the... go wrong with, <laughs> with, with that, uh, fractionalizing it. Um, I don't know the numbers, but I know it's wild. And I know mm-hmm. now they're like after the big, you know, the big clouds of Google and Amazon and Microsoft, yeah. they're like right up there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, so my, my larger point is that I do think there's probably a lot of like ex Ethereum miners or early Bitcoin miners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hearing through the grapevine that this is already starting to happen that have capacity right? and are now kind of interested in this. Mm. My guess is we'll see, but I think it's going to kind of mimic the early days of mining as well. Like there will probably be some like, I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just saying it's a possibility of what could happen. Like, Hey, like maybe a university's computer is just some like enterprising student <laughs> right. finds a way to offer access to that for, for training and inference. Right. I think when you let the market go, you're yeah. going to be surprised yeah. how much is out there. So yeah. we'll, we'll see, but I think that idea is super interesting. And when you have that specialized, you know, open cloud, maybe, you know, on those, you're eventually that kind of shifts into also a marketplace for the open source edge agents as well. Yeah. yeah. And I think that speaking of open source and edge, I think those are interesting other factors. We don't really know if, the kinds of training and inference people want to do long-term has to be that expensive. Totally. It may get really cheap, really fast, which is exciting, right? Push it all out to the edges, run them on your phones, run them on your laptop. I love it, dude. And in fact, there was, you know, we, we talked about, um, a couple of episodes ago, you had mentioned that, uh, that tweet from that guy, Chris Pike, um, which Mm. I thought was interesting. I I don't know him, but I, I thought, you know, he was really big on this idea of kind of like, um, you know, using web GPU to make it easier to access GPUs for inference at the edge. And I read a little bit more of what he was writing about. And he had the interesting point where he was like, look, you know, if you're very bullish on Apple, which I don't see them going anywhere, <laughs> and it seems like they have pretty, uh, pretty strong uh, connections with TSMC, then, you know, they've made investments in it. Look, I, this, I'm not an expert on this, but apparently from what I understand, their M chips, you know, and the sort of uh, neural circuitry that they have associated with that pretty good for, um, at least for inference. And so I think the argument he was making that I resonated with, at least, you know, from a outsider's point of view is they're making some multiple of chips that NVIDIA is making. If NVIDIA was doing 30 mil, they're doing 150 mil or 200 mm. mil or whatever the number was, it, it was more, right? Right. Because they have all of the phones, they have all of the right. computers, all yep. of the iPads. And so if there is a world where those chips get good enough to do a lot of this inference, obviously not all of it, but let's say a good chunk of it at the edge. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden I started thinking, well, what if everyone with an M1 chip or an M2 or soon an M3 chip can just click a button, farm it out to the cloud when right. you're not using it? Right. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, these are all interesting ideas that could be, I guess, that marketplace for compute idea. So is GPU, what function or layer does GPUtopia serve today? Is it, it it's the market maker or they have their own <laughs> Yeah. So to hardware? be clear, they launched yesterday. Okay. Okay. So it's so GPUtopia.ai, like... All of that's TBD. Um, today, I think they're coordinating it. So they are kind of like the market. Ma- they're, they're matching everyone right now, I think. Okay. And I think eventually- the GPU owners with, with the people demand. that run models, yeah. And are they, are they using, how do they do payments today? Lightning. And so okay, you just cool. basically download Albi, get paid out. Nice. 
And eventually they're going to, you know, offer, you know, WebLN, so, you know, Albi or anything else you want to do, your own wallet, whatever, probably a lightning address. Right. Um, but this was just kind of like see demand, like, you know, a hundred users in a day. That's a start. Right. And I think eventually the plan is for them to steer towards Noster. Uh-huh. Now in that world, I don't know exactly where the business model lies, right? Like as yeah. we talked about, this goes back to like, well, if all of the order book is done openly, you have to make money by providing other services or whatever. And, you know, I think that's the generic question for all marketplaces on Oster. But yep. I think that's the direction they're headed. Nice. That it's sounds, cool. Yeah. It's, it's very sci-fi. And like, <laughs> I mean, when I saw that, I was just like, shit. <laughs> and it's working. Yeah. That's cool. Um, what else? Uh, what else? I'm trying to think because we have a ton of notes, but what are the highlights or things that uh, that are worth kind of jamming on here? So we talked about the GPU marketplace, DVMs, the Nostra browser. Uh, I mean, we didn't talk about this last time, but I, I just definitely want to give a shout out to the Stemster team. Uh huh. You know, I haven't played with that as much as I would like. <laughs> my hope is when I get some stuff off my plate soon, I would like to spend a lot more time making music there. But mm-hmm. what I love about the Stemster app is it's very Nostra native, right? So it's this whole concept. It's, it's something that I've been showing a lot of friends that are like, okay, I don't want to do Bitcoin stuff. Right. I'm not into this like weird tech nerd stuff. Great. Stemster, what I like about it is it's just, it's a very simple use case where, okay, I'm creating a song. Maybe I lay down a beat and then I don't even think they had the payments built in yet, but you could imagine very quickly where this is going to go. Someone else then takes that and can remix it, add their own voice on top. So imagine someone took your Elon Musk song, they come in, they remix it, and then very soon you could imagine you do splits on that, right? Like you have in the Value for Value podcast and whatever. And so it's like, okay, cool. uh, DK was the original, whatever, author of this song. I'm going to come in, remix it, put on some hip hop tracks or my own drums. Cool. So now anyone that zaps me, we're going to get 50-50 split. Then you could imagine um, very quickly... um, and, and by the way, this is uh, Wavelake is also, you know, Wavelake is more of a traditional mm-hmm. music streaming platform. They've already integrated Nostra login as well. They recently, I think, have been working with Adam Curry on his new thing, Boostagram Ball, which is super dope. And Boostagram Ball is like basically, you know, Adam Curry was the original VJ for MTV. Right, yeah. Now it's his new podcast where he's basically taking music that's value for value enabled and anyone that zaps, he's splitting back to the artist. So he's literally DJing a oh, podcast nice. yeah. where the artists get paid. And so you could imagine you know, a world where all that happens natively on Nostra, right? Like someone lays down a track, someone lays down, you know, uh, a verse, someone else lays down a chorus, someone else lays down a remix on top of that. Then, you know, the splits get split between the creators, but then the curator steps in. Right. The curator says, all right, cool, I'll take 20% for curating and getting this in front of my audience. And the other 80% gets split on the back end. I, so this has been on my mind and I was having a debate with a friend about Mm -hmm. these concepts. Uh, And I'll, I'll take a little bit of like the, the, other view of how this may play out. I'm not advocating please, one please, or the yeah. other. Um, but this came up because are, are you sort of a Daft Punk fan or familiar with their work? Yeah, or? I'm certainly familiar. Yeah. So um, there's a. Have you heard of the Switched on Pop podcast? No. So this is like a a podcast that's dedicated to basically ripping apart. You know, it's an ethnomusicologist and a music historian or something. <laughs> Sounds <you know>. fancy. <laughs> I, I I forget exactly their backgrounds, but they basically like take a piece of music and try to tear apart all the stories and the history and how this came to be and what else was happening at that same time. So they just published a four part on Daft Punk Hmm. and it, I I guess like what was, I think homework maybe was the first album in the, was it early nineties? So yeah, a long time ago. And I think, was it, I I feel if they did four, four albums, there were four episodes, but, um, but it kind of talks about the evolution of Daft Punk from being like 
I've always known them to be kind of this like robot slash human thing, mm. but I didn't realize how deeply that is the whole story of Daft Punk. And early Daft Punk was very robotic, mm. and you can sort of follow both kind of the lyrics and the stories and the like uh, music production went from being very, very digital to yeah. very, very human. Interesting. And so the most recent was 10 years ago. They just had the 10th anniversary of Random Access Memories. Yeah. yeah. And that um, that is actually a very human album compared yeah. to everything else they've done, right? They've got like... Pharrell and all that, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's like a lot of... Yeah, there's real real human singers without vocoders and, and, and voice effects. Um, but they kind of like... When they did that, they kind of finished. It was almost like a bookend on the end of their career because the robots have now become human. Yeah. And so they spent, you know, 20 years or whatever effectively exploring like this interesting well, edge that. between humans and AI. And that's kind of, so this is all kind of background on um, this discussion I was having with my friend, which is basically like Daft Punk, you know, they were early in some of the sampling wars and what does it mean to be sampling people's stuff and how much can you borrow and what else can you do to it that makes it yours? And we, we really got down to like a very fundamental question about like what is what is like ownership, authorship, copyright, like what does this stuff mean? Yeah. And so like a I'm a little bit of the side I think I came out of this kind of experience and discussion, a little bit of the side like like I mean I mean I, I love to create things online. I believe that artists should get paid. Yep. But I don't know how to manage the splits of you know when i'm borrowing an idea yeah how much of it is my idea and how much of it is the source material when an ai is borrowing my ideas how much of it is my ideas versus the you know the ai's unique input um and i i think we talked a little bit about the rick rubin have you you were reading that or we talked about that at all i didn't read it no oh. but we're, we're I, I think we're still only halfway through it <laughs> we kind of we read a lot of things in parallel but, um, you know, he kind of talks about the creative process. The creator is kind of just like a vessel to usher an idea into the world. Totally. And, and which kind of, I don't know exactly what position he would take, but it's kind of at odds with saying like, that's mine. I made that. I own that. Yeah, I agree. And it's more like I brought this to us, but I did it with stuff that I found in the world before. And there's people who will come after me who will do stuff with my stuff. And so, like I said, I'm a fan of all these artists getting paid for their work. And I like to create online too. So, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm more like team artist, uh, but I, I'm not sure how we should adjudicate this. So then the, so you really want to break it down to the atomic unit is like, let's say that from a Daft Punk synth perspective, a sine wave, does anybody own a sine wave? I don't think so. Hope not. <laughs> what, what if I modulate it just a little bit? Yeah. Is that my sound? Like it's it's it, if you sort of go really reductionist on it, yeah, it's hard to say where there's like these very, you know, these very specific moments of creation. Totally it feels like a huge continuum, and so then I, you know, if I take that, I'm I'm not really sure how we, you know, we can have some legislator decide for us and tell us what we should be doing, but I, I don't I don't really buy that side of it either because I don't think necessarily <laughs> people legislating these things are gonna make really great decisions. So. I'm kind of left thinking it's kind of more, and the reason I triggered this is you mentioned the curator. I'm almost more of the mindset that like 
whoever's exposing it to the audiences are the ones that are kind of like doing the unique thing. Like they're matching this set of ideas that humanity has been curating since, or have been creating, you know, creating since the sine wave. And they're sort of (laughs) ushering that into, you know, their market making and matching that idea with the people who presumably would like it. And if they make bad decisions, they're going to lose that audience. Totally. So I almost wonder, I mean, this is kind of a bizarre idea, but I almost wonder if like the audiences Mm -hmm. are really kind of how, like the only way for artists to capture value and the actual creative process can be used to build audiences, but the creative process doesn't end up netting ownership in the way we think about today. Totally. Well, okay. So that, I mean, it's a fascinating conversation to have and probably one that we'll be having for years yeah, because I yeah. don't think, I don't think this answer is going to just like show itself immediately. A couple of initial thoughts. One, I've never been a big fan of IP. Like mm-hmm. I am very much of the mindset that information wants to be free. Let it be free. Yep. It's better for humanity. Mm-hmm. I'm also of the mindset that I would love to see artists like live like a comfortable lifestyle. Yeah. So I think those two things are things that I've, at least now believe and don't believe have to be at odds. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, legislating or forcing it, probably not the right (laughs) answer. And so then I think the interesting question becomes, well, what, you know, I always kind of like when we talk about with Kevin Kelly, like what, what does technology want? Right. Like as he's asked, or what does nature, like what is the natural evolutionary next step? Right. Mm -hmm. And so we've talked a lot about this. It's not just with art either. Right. We've talked a lot about open source software. I think you and I are both very much fans of, open source as much of the software as possible. And there's still going to be ways to monetize, right? Like one way I've always thought about the open source software thing, or one thing that's like really distilled to me is you always pay for something, right? Like whether you pay for it in money because you're a company and you're rich in money and poor on time, or you pay for it with time because you're poor on money, but rich with time. Like there are different trades that you can orchestrate, right? So the code itself being free means more distribution, more distribution means more opportunity to layer on whatever it is, hosting opportunities in the future, service agreements, other business models. So I, I think that something similar is going to happen here. I was discussing with a few people, I think, a while ago, this idea of the kind of like the music is going to be free, but there's probably like, there's probably a way to be creative with the business model around the shelling point for the distribution of that model, Mm -hmm. of that music. So one idea that we were kind of balancing around, um, if you remember some artists like Radiohead have tried just like giving their music away for free and rainbows, they just dropped for free. Tom York did the exact same thing um, with uh, tomorrow's modern boxes and probably other albums since then. And interestingly enough, they released on BitTorrent with the option to pay. And mm-hmm. I did pay because yeah. I was like, you know what? I support this guy. Yep. And so I think one possibility is I, I think pure quote unquote altruism or patronage can work if you have a big enough audience. I think they've proven that. Um, other ancillary business models like the shows or whatever, that can also potentially work. But I think there's probably a new opportunity that we haven't seen, which ties in the point about the curators. And so the thing, by the way, I very much agree with you. That's where a lot of the value and the scarcity is. In fact, I was on another podcast recently and like one of my big takeaways, one of my mic drop moments, yeah. if you will, was you know the best entrepreneurs, what it really comes down to is taste. Taste is, in some ways, the scarce asset. Yeah. Taste. It's yeah. always taste. Same thing with curators and artists here. And so one idea that we were playing around with is, is there a way to incentivize your audience? Like, can you align incentives such that they grow the pie and you both win? And so imagine for a minute, you download, we were talking about this in the context of BitTorrent, you release a file mm-hmm. and gets your new song. 
And once that information is out there, anyone can rip and release their file. Information's free, and it should be. Yep. Information wants to be free. Let's not force a square uh, block in a round hole or whatever the saying is. Yeah. And so, but if I can authenticate, if I'm Tom York or say for Perro, whoever, <laughs> and I can authenticate, okay, this is my track. And you know that because my NPUB signed it. Mm-hmm. Now, chances are the file that came from my private key is likely to become the shelling point because it came from me. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then one thing you could imagine doing is saying, okay, zap splits are going to get built into this, but they're going to get built into a tree based on the file that I originate. So I drop the original track. Mm-hmm. And then I say, anyone that links back to this file and you know gets a cut of that, whether it's through their own VJ show or DJ show, right whether it's remixing it, whatever, whoever takes this, does something with it, shares with their audience, they are now incentivized. Like they get a cut of all Mm. revenue shared anywhere from this track. Right, right. And so the idea is, can you turn that into something where everyone wants to grow the pie of this original track? Right. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work, but I think there's something really interesting to experiment with there. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like as we have more, uh, kind of more, like we've micronized all of the, um, you know, all of the, the building blocks, when they're smaller, they can be remixed and rebuilt and pointed in different directions and kind of, it feels more like water flowing. Exactly. Kind of the, the old style is like, we have these contracts and you sign them in a wet signature and you'll do something every six months. Now things can be more real time and composable and, and remixed in a way. In remix. And, and I think again, and I don't have the exact answer on this, but I think for me, the core insight is, can we align incentives? So everyone wants to grow the pie. Mm-hmm. Like, can we get out of the scarcity mindset of like, oh, like there's only so many album sales? It's actually, no. Like, we can actually have like, kind of like with the open source software thing. And I, I mean, um, we talked about this maybe in the last show, but Alby released that new uh, functionality, and the, with their API, they were experimenting with. I don't know if it was um, NPM or one of these like packet libraries. The idea of what if, and today again, it's going back to voluntary zapping. I don't know if voluntary mm-hmm. zapping is the big opportunity. Maybe it may not be. But imagine, you know, I release a popular open source packet and it's used everywhere. And anyone that uses my thing in the future, if there's ever a zap to any project, I always get some tiny cut. Maybe it's only Mm -hmm. a Satoshi or whatever, but if it's in a hundred million places, that gets pretty interesting. And so I think, yeah, just this idea of if you can, like Bitcoin, align incentives so everyone wants to build up the original file, there's there's an interesting model there. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. And one one idea that's kind of related, kind of Nostra related of this is, and I I don't have a good handle on what this might be like, but has has there been any more, you know, how closely do we think about code, kind of executable code instead mm-hmm. of just data, right? Like yeah. today relays host data, but don't really host code. Right. But like, is there, does it fit pretty well to take like executable code, open source code, and host them on relays or help have relays somehow contribute to the assembly of which app I should be using or help point me towards the place where I should be getting code to do the next thing I want to do? Maybe. I mean, I haven't thought about if it's like the relays themselves, but where I do think, so I do think a very important primitive in this world we're heading for is the old world of software mm-hmm. was zero marginal cost. Right. I build a product once or a piece of software once, I can distribute it for free. Yeah. In the world of computation, it's not free. And maybe one day it will get close to free, but at least today I have real GPU costs, I have real yeah. electricity costs. Yeah. 
So I think another possibility is, and this is something that also I think Pavel and Gigi have talked about, the data will always be free. And maybe as a relay, it's kind of like my loss leader. I give away all the data for free or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you want to manipulate the data, which requires computation, mm -hmm. there's some markup on that. Right, right. Because you always are going to have to pay for the computation. As long as electricity is not completely free yep. and the whatever, the GPU is not completely free, there's going to be some real world cost that has to get paid there. Yep, yep. Makes sense. So in a sense, the, the GPU execution is, does it relate to being like a tastemaker? Is it? It's almost because you're talking about how the taste is the thing that matters. Is is it like a computational version of taste? I, I, I'm not trying to get what you mean there. What, what do you mean? Eh, might might be too far afield. But you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Let's, let's go all the way. Yeah. You were talking about how kind of taste mm -hmm. is kind of the ultimate. You know, kind of the the final. I don't know how you scarce resource. Yeah, or scarce resource. But so are these like the computation on top of the data is a form of taste making of that data, like which data I pull, how I compute, what the algorithm is that computes that is a flavor of that kind of that it's it's like an embodied taste, like an, ex, an expressed. Well, maybe. I mean, I, I could see it going even in two different ways, though, right? Because I, when I was talking about computation, I'm just saying, like, imagine for a minute there is no taste and you are the taste maker, but I own the actual like GPU that does the whatever the cycle the inference. Um, you could imagine that as the taste maker, you know, you still have to pay me something or someone something, maybe the marginal cost or maybe the cost gets driven down to like cost because there is no profit margin of like if everyone's out there competing or it's like yeah. very, very tiny. It's like mining, you know, it's going to go yeah. there. Um, another way to look at it though is like maybe you combine those two things and it's like if you have the best taste and curation, you point people to your relay and you earn the right to then point them to your computation. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have a higher markup, but people don't care because yeah. you have the best data feeds or whatever. Yeah. I mean, people always pay for brand, right? That's yeah, totally. <laughs> not always. Some of those are very cheap, but a lot of people, well, they, even, <laughs> even if you're cheap though, uh, I'm not, I'm not claiming that you're, you know, I don't know, wearing Gucci, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but I think brand still is like a shortcut yeah. to help us make decisions. Totally. And so we pay, to just take the defaults in a sense, right? Like totally on a lot of decisions that we don't want to think too much about. Well, one thing that always I thought about, you know, in the crypto markets, and I think this is actually very interesting for the future. Like as well. Slowly crypto. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, do you remember? So MetaMask at one point was doing crazy swap volume and, you know, people could have easily have gone to Uniswap or whatever to do the swap there. It was cheaper but they would pay the 1% markup just because they didn't want to leave there. And they knew MetaMask yeah. and it was easy. And just like people like will pay for convenience mm -hmm. and defaults and brand. Yep. And like, that's a great business model. If you're doing like whatever, hundred million trades or whatever, yep. and you've got 1% and sure anyone can go do it cheaper, but like they're not. Yep. Yeah. Because yep. it's easy yeah. or because I mean, they know your brand. You they trust you. Yeah. I mean, you have to transfer something out. There's some risk in there that you do something wrong. So hey, it's a pain in the ass. I pay 1%. I know it's going to work. Cool. Sounds yeah. fair. Yeah. Seems like a very reasonable business model and a reasonable way to sort of create value and, and be able to capture some of the value that you're you're creating. So Totally, yeah. And again, <laughs> comes back taste, trust, brand. These are all things that are pretty valuable in that yep. world. Yep. Cool. It's a very kind of Kevin Kelly homage. Hey, <laughs> one day, by the way, we should we should find a way to get Kevin Kelly on here. That would be like a dream oh, yeah. come true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if anyone knows Kevin Kelly, we'd love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> we love him. Um, two, two more things I wanted to mention yeah. quickly. I don't know what else is top of yeah, mind yeah. for you. Um, one is just touching on lightning network for a second. 
Uh, oh yeah, you mentioned something about. I think I've got that chart up that you were you were pointing out the the Kevin uh, Kevin Rook post, right? Is well, this the one? Th- this is one of the two things for sure. Okay. So one is um, for those of you who haven't seen. Um, I think this is the Albi one. Yeah. This was just crazy to me. You know, um, Albi released this data with Kevin that they did over a million payments in August. So that's unit payments, yes. like individual payments. individual. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. A lot of people, I think Wallet of Satoshi, everyone thought was kind of like the number one wallet. And obviously they're doing a lot as well, but I think they were like 600, 700K payments. The general point to me here is, um, and I think Sam Wouters or Wader, I don't know how you say his name, at River was putting out some research. He's done some really nice reports. But his, like, he and Boomi were having some, you know, back and forth on Twitter trying to understand what this data means. I think the high level takeaway is there's more activity happening on the Lightning Network than anyone thought. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying we're doing huge volumes yet. Right. And obviously, because it's a peer-to-peer, it's a yeah, peer-to-peer onion-routed network like Tor, by design, you can't know any of this data, which is like both right. a good thing and a bad thing, depending on your perspective. So you can't know the data, but how does he have the data? This is well, companies can report from their individual nodes, okay. right? And so if you can collect from enough of these different sources, you can start piecing some of that together. But like he, you know, a couple, I think two years ago or in 2021, there was estimates coming out from um, Arcane Crypto, maybe that like. There's a, only a couple hundred K payments on the Lightning Network, period. Mm-hmm. And then he gave a talk maybe a couple of weeks ago in Europe somewhere, one of those Bitcoin conferences, estimating that there's maybe like a million total payments on the network on his like lower conservative end. Mm, right. Well, Albie just came out and said, actually, no, that's just one company. Right. And so anyways, this to me, though, is just like everyone that I've shown this to has just been like, wait, really? Yeah. It's it's a very encouraging sign to me that there's a lot more and a lot of this we know is coming from uh Nostra because of Nostra Wallet Connect. Again, very small average payment size, I would yeah. guess. Yeah. But still like a million well, I mean small for, average payment size is what you'd hope because that yeah. that's that fits the use case. That's exactly. something you can't do in the rest of the world. So I kind of like hearing that. If you're saying, "Oh, you're paying 50 US dollar equivalent in Lightning." I'm kind of like, well, "Why don't you just yeah, swipe your you credit should, card yeah. or Stripe or whatever?" But um, but I, th- I think that's actually a reason to be optimistic, is that you're hearing small payments. So people are, you know, Zaps are a great example, and there's probably others. Totally. So anyway, so I, I just thought this was worth mentioning because yeah. it surprised a lot of the industry insiders. Like, wait a second, we're we're actually doing more than we realized. Right. What's the sort of? I don't know. If I I see some people kind of disbelieving Lightning or kind of trashing it, and then there's a lot of people, you know some of our friends are working hard every day to make it successful. And I wonder like, where do you stand on? Like, why are the haters hating? Like what's their position? Well, I think one reasonable criticism is it's taken longer than a lot of us would have hoped. And I am also in the camp of like, look, (laughs) most people I know are not using lightning. Mm -hmm. I wish they were. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that, if you zoom out, the Lightning white paper dropped in 2017, I guess, 2018, or maybe it was 2016, I don't know. But like 2018 is when people really started running nodes. It was very niche. 2020, 2021, things could start a little bit, you know, whatever, more slightly professional in the last year or two. I mean, you have to also remember in the la- up until two years ago, there was almost no venture capital. Like Lightning Labs raised like a 10 mil Series A, and that's about it. Then in the last 10 years, you see they raise, a, you know, a B, um, tens of millions, Lightspark comes out and raises, River raises a B, mm-hmm. uh, Zebedee raises an A. So, or maybe there was a B as well. So, so you're just starting to see some of these companies get capitalized in the last two uh-huh. years. 
So when you zoom out, like I still think we're like actually moving pretty quickly, but I definitely understand the criticism of like, look, I wish this thing had happened much faster. I also think that a lot of people, again, it's the data, like the industry insiders had no idea right. how many payments are being done. Right. And so if you're used to looking at, you know, quote unquote crypto and you're like looking at, okay, well, like how much money is locked up in Uniswap or in some of these other protocols? Well, that has nothing to do with this because, mm -hmm. you know, River, Alex Leishman was um, talking on the Kevin Rook podcast recently. It was very good about like, look, we just closed a whole bunch of our channels with River. And that has nothing to do with like our, um, the number of payments we're routing is increasing, but it's a very capital efficient network and we're getting more and more efficient with how you're out. Right. So if I'm sending a Satoshi back and forth, the speed of light, you know, there's a lot of payments I can do with that. Yeah. It has nothing to do with total volume locked. Like the number of coins locked up has been going down, but number of payments has clearly been going right. up. A lot. So more just than people realize. efficiency is what we would attribute that to. Exactly. And then speaking of these guys, I think uh, was it last night? Brian Armstrong from Coinbase. So that was the other story. Yeah. Why don't oh, you take okay. this one? Yeah. Well, no, no. You, you can represent it because I, I, you know, I didn't follow it super closely. I just saw the headline. Oh, well, neither did I. But I actually, I loved your tweet about this. So I actually, maybe you'll share your tweet because it was funny. What, what was my tweet? I, I, I don't want to get it wrong. So I'm going to see if I can quote quote myself here. What did I say? It was actually pretty funny. So I retweeted, uh, so Brian Armstrong said, the team did a great job digging into this and we've made the decision to integrate Lightning. Bitcoin is the most important asset in crypto and we're excited to do our part to enable faster, cheaper Bitcoin transactions. And yeah, okay, so my quote was, <laughs> <laughs> the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. <laughs> I have nothing else to add. <laughs> Agreed. So, uh, it, I mean, you know, Coinbase was... Uh, a, a Bitcoin company. Without before, a doubt. Right? And here we are, what is it? Are we 13 years later? Something? Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Maybe, maybe 12, 12 or 13, but we're 12 or 13 years later and they're saying it's the most important, important asset in crypto. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, yeah. you know, think what you want about Coinbase. Obviously, I'm not a fan of all the DeFi and whatever mm -hmm. stuff they've done, but at the end of the day, they onboarded a lot of people to Bitcoin and they obviously are a public company with incredible technical talent inside and them integrating lightning for all of their user base is a big deal and this yeah. comes on the heels we haven't talked since finance also integrated lightning they went from being nothing to now i think they're a top 10 node by capacity on the network already i'm sure coinbase will be a top 10 node by capacity very quickly so, so binance has it launched already yeah and so I think that these were the last two big holdouts mm. of major exchanges, and they also happen to be like the two biggest. In addition, you know, you already had the early adopters like Bitfinex and Kraken and River. But like, this is a huge deal. Their user bases are both massive. And um, I don't know, I think it's a much bigger deal than people realize. Like mm -hmm. all of their users now, and by the way, you can start seeing a lot more ARB opportunities, right? Like imagine if you can mm. move yeah. instantly between exchanges like River and Kraken and Coinbase and Binance at the speed of light. Right. That's going to be some really interesting opportunities. Right. So kind of the SBF Bitcoin trading. <laughs> I'm not saying that's what I want to do or whatever, yeah, but like, like. Let's go do quant trading on lightning. It will oh. happen. Yeah. <laughs> Seem, seems credible whenever there's a, a big chance like this, you know, kind of a big change like this with kind of a lot more volume. But I, I think it'd be good for, you know, I'm, I'm sure somebody will opportunistically find that and, and do it and probably generate a lot of volume and. More volume, themselves. more routing fees, more exposure. Yep. Generally good. That's great. Um, do you know, so I know it's kind of the onion router kind of tour, uh, style probably doesn't give a lot of visibility, but do we know anything about, I don't know, the news reports of what, why Binance made the decision or what people are doing with it or. Well, I think the, the first reason was 
I mean, obviously a lot of people, you know, I'm assuming have asked for it at some point, although it wasn't like a huge business uh, need. Because imagine if you're like, if you're a big business and you have lots of tokens listed, you either listen to token, make more money. Right. And in some ways you don't even want to integrate lightning because you don't really want people moving the money off your exchange anyway, if you're one of these com- exchanges, yeah. exchange like Riverdue. Um, but I think the big thing was frankly just the, the chain fees. Like when the ordinals pop happened six months ago or whatever that was, all of a sudden just the fees mm. spiked. And ever since then, it's not all ordinals. I'm sure there's other stuff happening, but the mempool is not cleared. Hmm. And so it's still not right now. I don't think so. I mean, the last time I checked is that that's you don't, but you're saying you don't know if it's because of the ordinal stuff specifically. Or well, I know ordinals the, were part of the original reason. I don't know if they still are or not. I haven't, you know, been following that as closely, but in general, when fees are expensive, you know, these exchanges, my understanding is are eating those fees for their customers. Mm-hmm. And so if they can save meaningful costs, yep. all, all of a sudden, okay, well, this moves the deal for the business. That's why I think they're integrating it now. Yep, yep. Um, but I think it's going to have a lot of interesting second order effects. One other thing I did, I just want to mention to be fair, because I think there's a very big criticism of lightning that came out of the AI for all hackathon that I would love to see this problem mm. solved. And that criticism is, you know, the whole like AI is paying AIs and lightning. I think it really makes sense to me that like energy backed money sent at the speed of light, like JP Morgan, not banking the AIs. <laughs> I am sure on that. Right, right. Um, but from what we found, you know, there's a lot of hackers that think this is cool. And even at some of the bigger companies, you know, some of whom were involved with the hackathon, I don't know who I can share and who I can't, but the point is the engineers were like, yo, this is dope. We would love to integrate this. And even the CEOs of some of these companies are like, this is dope. We'd love to integrate this. Mm-hmm. And then there would be some pushback from compliance people, regulatory right. people, even just accounts that are either like, one, how do we deal with Bitcoin in the balance sheet? Like, is this like a threat to us? Like, like what does that mean? Or as simple as like, yo, like, is this thing going to go up, going to go down? Dude, this is not our business model. Why are we like trading Forex? Like, mm. just doesn't make sense for us. And so I think the killer thing that is still missing, and this could come in many form factors, and I know companies are working on this, I think Strike. I think released something like this, but I haven't confirmed. I think it's in the roadmap for some other companies as well, but it's just like a very simple thing. Pay a lightning address, get paid out in dollars. Mm-hmm. That's it. And you could do this in a way of like- Paid out in dollars that flows through like stable coins or that, how do you- Well, this is, this is the question, right? Because there's many ways you could do this. I think for a lot of these legacy tech companies, they're going to need it in a bank account. So not stable coins or ever is my guess, but just like straight up get paid lightning- all of a sudden deposit dollars. You got like an ACH connection to them. Exactly. Okay. And that's kind of what Strike either does now or I assume will do very soon. Mm-hmm. Another option is you could do what uh, Lightning Labs has been working on, Taproot Assets, and you could just have stable coins. So in the way that it's currently flowing on Tron or whatever, it just comes back to Lightning because it's interoperable, it's faster, it's cheaper, blah, blah, blah. And you just get paid in stable coins, you hold your stable coins, great. Another option is you can use what Galoi, and I think Fetty is now working with as well, which is stable stats, and that's kind of a synthetic dollar, which you basically take a long and short position simultaneously and create a synthetic dollar. That has some issues because right now they're using centralized exchanges, which, you know, that, that has its own set of problems, but it's a way to get dollar representation value. My understanding, though, for the companies is probably you need like regulated bank accounts mm-hmm. to make this work right. to get started. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's what we're missing. Cool. Well, I don't know who's going to solve it. If you're out there and you're listening, you're going to solve that. Let us know. But th- that's like the final piece, I think. Right. How's the um, How's the overall like your? I, I know you sort of started Hivemind as a kind of was was the first fund was very lightning focused, and the second fund is Nostra focused. Is that yeah. the right timing? And have you found your? I mean, you're talking a lot about lightning stuff. Are you 
finding more new opportunities in Lightning to sort of fund people building new things in Lightning? Or are you sort of a mix of Lightning Noster or still pretty exclusively Noster? Or how do you sort of... <laughs> well, look, I, I, first of all, I'm open-minded, right? Yeah. Things can yeah. change. So the way I kind of thought about Fund 1 is that it was very Lightning infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of those companies were companies that were building core infrastructure or new banks to get in and out of um, local currency to Lightning. Yeah. Um, and some apps, but like majority infrastructure. I now I'm thinking we're kind of entering the lightning application phase mm-hmm. and there's going to be many things that bring lightning into the application phase. I think Noster is going to be a huge one. Yeah. I think some of this edge AI stuff could be very interesting and mm-hmm. maybe there's going to be other protocols or other stuff as well. But like, I do think it's finally time to actually start like building end user experiences with lightning. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm focused now. Um, the last, for example, couple of things like in fun one, obviously did like, you know, companies like stacker news, which is a little bit of an application. Um, but like this GPU utopia thing, like that's a new app that just like straight up, you know, I couldn't have existed two years ago. And now that's kind of the apps that I'm doing. Um, so I'm excited about that. And yeah, man, I, I'm really curious to see what comes. I'm really excited to see what comes out of the Nostra hackathon coming up with, uh, you know, Nostrasia. Uh, I will put a plug out there as well. I haven't released this publicly, but I am going to be looking potentially um, to bring someone on board to help me as kind of like a, a chief of staff role. There's a lot that I'm trying to figure out right oh, now. Nice. So maybe someone listening, if you're in the deep cut right now, <laughs> um, that could be something interesting. But yeah, look, and what's, I, what's the ideal background or what do you have in mind? Well, I mean, again, right now at, uh, at Hive Mind, it's just me. And so kind of solo GP, want to keep it that way from the investment perspective. But, um, you know, there's a lot that um, goes into supporting our current companies. Frankly, a lot of like administrative stuff I, c- I could use uh, help with and, you know, what my dream is to be able to free myself up as much as possible to go out there and live on the very edge of Noster, find some mm-hmm. of the weird stuff um, yeah. as it's being you know brought up. And, you know, uh, so someone that can really help me manage some of the administrative stuff, but also really help support a lot of our companies. And there'll be other, you know, looking at the edge as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see all that, all that, all that goes. But I am personally more bullish than ever. I know right. a lot of the market is like scared and skeptical, but the way I look at it is like, and by the way, we haven't even talked about, you know, the energy price of Bitcoin, which is this whole thing Charles Capriol has. Like, this is a whole layer podcast to discuss, mm-hmm. like, looking at the cost to produce Bitcoin versus the current price. Right. It's one of the stronger signals, I believe, that he's talked about in a long time. The halving is coming up next year. I think there's just, like, a lot of really good forces behind us. But mm-hmm. right now, a lot of people are scared if they're not deep in it. Yep. Cool. Well, if you're looking for that uh, kind of helper or kind of team uh, teammate coming up, uh, I would recommend. I've actually just recently helped... Uh, uh, another friend who's uh, running a venture capital firm oh. uh, find, I think, a similar type of role. Oh, cool. And uh, and speaking of plugs, get oh. the founders you should know. Oh, yeah, badass. So we, ha- we have a Slack community where we help people who are kind of looking to kind of transition in tech and find their new mm-hmm. new role, uh, something that they'd like to kind of work on and focus on. So we actually had um, actually a role that we posted recently that got a lot of attention, really? which was with a, a friend who runs a venture capital firm and we're looking for kind of a somebody to help out in various ways. Um, so that's a good place to post. I will actually. Yeah. And by the way, if y'all haven't heard of this, DK and his wife run an incredible program, Founders You Should Know, which I think is probably the highest signal founder group in SF I've seen. A lot of cool stuff around AI, everything else. Maybe one day Nostro, but yeah. Um, yeah, if you haven't checked that out, you should definitely, definitely check out their community. It's dope. Yeah, thank you. It's foundersysk.com. So pop on over. If you're in San Francisco, apply to come to the show. We do an in-person show. They're good. Which They're really going, good. Uh, actually, it's, it's a week from today is the next one. Will, so. you, will you sing on this one? Uh, <laughs> I, I won't be singing at this. I I have I have my next track already written. Ooh. 
did, did I tell you what it is? No. Oh, it's uh, Taylor Swift. Alpha drop right here. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Swift. Um, uh, sh- yeah, Shake It Off. Okay. But instead of the chorus being Shake It Off, it's AGI. Okay. Um, I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got I've got it mostly written. I think we're going to probably perform it at the October 25th Founders You Should Know All right, as the well, intermission. I definitely want to come for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Sweet. Well, awesome, DK. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, great to hang. Great to chat. And I think we've got to got to get this thing going to upload so that we can pop over to our next engagement. Exactly, man. Okay. All right. See you all soon. Bye-bye.